Why, what's going on? You guys doing good? Man, who is loving the weather outside? I like, I so desperately wanted to wear a short sleeve shirt, but I had to be a grown adult and I got a physical and they had to do some blood work and it looks like I've been doing heroin for the past like eight years of my life and so I didn't want to like gross anybody out with my giant bruise in my elbow. So I'll be in a nice hot flannel while you guys are all enjoying the beautiful weather. You guys can take a seat. Uh, my name's Connor. I'm also one of the young adult pastors here um, at Red Rocks. I know Andrew asked this before, but I was, tr- I was like creeping around trying to get a glance. First timers, real quick, shoot your hand back up. Are you Sarah? I'm assuming Sarah. Awesome. Sarah, nice to meet you. Shout out. Um, hey, you know, we say this every week. Thank you so much for coming and for checking us out. For some of you, maybe it's your first time back in a setting or an environment like this in a long time. Um, maybe for some of you, it's your first time in an environment like this coming to church. And it's a brave thing to step into an area like this um, and, and kind of check it out. And so I just want to let you know we don't take that lightly. We're so thankful and we're grateful that you're here. Um, you're part of our family, whether you believe everything that we believe or not. Um, you're, you're family here. And so thank you so much for, for showing up and giving us your Thursday night. Um, If you don't believe what we believe, that's okay. Um, There's no pressure, but I do want to tell you up front, we're going to unashamedly and unapologetically talk about Jesus. Um, I believe that Jesus is the most incredibly kind, humble, powerful, strong, loving person um, that you could ever come in contact with and ever meet. And I'll take it a step further to say that I personally believe that Jesus is way more than a person, that he's God. and I know that can sound like very weird and, and intimidating, but I genuinely believe that if you open up your heart and even just consider what I have to say for a moment tonight, um, you could meet with Jesus because Jesus desperately wants to meet with you. And that's the entire point of why we do all of this. Um, it's not to put on a show or to pump a bunch of fog into the air. Um, it's, it's so that hopefully we can encounter Jesus and we can leave different than how we came in. And so... That's, that's our goal tonight. We're going to dive into the story of God. We're going to look at Jesus. And we are actually, finally, on our final week of the people of God. I don't know if we've announced it from stage in the back. We've, like, talked about, like, we're going to, this is going to be three weeks. And then, well, it'll be four weeks. And then last week was supposed to be the last week. And now this, I promise you, is the final week in our amazing series that has changed everybody's life. A people of God. <laughs> and honestly, we, we, we dove into this. We started this series because I honestly felt like in this next season, God is calling young adults to set their lives apart to be a people of God. Ever since the beginning narrative of the Bible, God has been wanting a people set apart to be different from, for himself. And it's not so that you can be morally superior or feel like you stand on any type of high ground. God wants a people set apart so that we can reflect his goodness and his kindness and show other people what God is like in hopes that they look at our life and say, I want a relationship with that God that you know, Jesus. And so that was the heart um, behind this series. And I believe that's the people that God is calling us to be. And tonight we're going to dive in one more time into that topic about how we as a people can be set apart for God. And we're going to do that by looking at God's story. We're going to go to John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Any old school church kids bringing their leather Bible? I see a thick boy up there. Oh my goodness. 
You got like the study, you got lexicons in that thing. You got thick with a few C Bible down there. I like it. We're going to jump into John chapter 8, verse 31. I love hearing Zach laugh. <laughs> John 8, 31. Zach, shut up. I'm trying to be serious here. Says this, it says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We're, we're Abraham's descendants. We've, we've never been slaves to anybody. How can you say that we'll be set free? And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The title of my message tonight, if you're taking notes, is A People of Truth and Freedom. A People of Truth and Freedom. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for meeting with us tonight. We know that where two or more are gathered, you're here. And that's why we're here, to meet with you. And so, Jesus, tonight, do what only you can do. Transform hearts, um, change minds, transform lives, heal broken souls. Um, we want to meet with you. And we're just here to encounter you and experience you and leave different than how we came in. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Um, I got a question. What is it about when you're younger, like you always want to be a little older, right? Like when you're younger, you always have this desire to be older. Like when you're seven, you want to be a teenager. When you're a teenager, you want to be 21. When you're 21, you want to be, I don't know, 30 because you think that you're going to own a house and have a big salary. Surprise, I'm 32. That's not true. Um, and then when you get to 32, you're like, I want to be 21 again. My back hurts all the time for some reason. I wish I was lying. <laughs> but, but like with my daughter, Ezra, um, she is a year and four and a half months, year and five months, uh, and she is freaking killing it. Uh, she's killing the game at life. She, she's obsessed with this little baby and her blankie and her passy like that. Pray for us as we try to remove the pacifier from her soon. Um, that'll be a war. But uh, with my daughter, Ezra, whenever she takes like a step of independence, like we're trying to get her to brush her own teeth. Um, the, the doctor was like, yo, she need, this girl needs to start brushing her teeth. And we're like, sorry, she eats Captain Crunch all the time. So, <laughs> um, And so we bought her this little like kid toothbrush and um, this Paw Patrol toothpaste, which literally has nothing good for your teeth in it. It just tastes like berries, I guess. Um, and all she really does is suck the toothpaste off the end of the toothbrush. But we're trying to get her to like actually brush. And when she does, we're like, oh my gosh, Ezra, great job. You are doing incredible. You are such a big girl. And she like lights up. She's like, I don't know what I did to get this reaction, but I'm going to try it again. And we're like, you're doing it. Like, oh, what a big girl. You are such a big girl. Or she's like learning to like comb her own hair a little bit. She's not great at it, but she's still like, you know, kind of trying to learn. Or we're, she's got a sister on the way in August. Um, and so she has this, I know, guys, awesome. My beautiful wife in the front row. Um, but she's got a sister coming, and so we bought her this little baby doll, thinking that she's, like, too young to care about it whatsoever. She is utterly obsessed. Literally, every word, no lie. She wakes up in the morning. She'll, she'll, we'll be like, hey, baby. She's like, hi. And we're like, you know, how's your sleep? She's like, baby? Baby? 
if you think I'm lying, she says baby over a million times in our home, but she'll carry her baby around. And I don't know how she like put this together, but she'll get one of her old bottles and she'll pretend to like feed the, her little baby. And we're like, oh my gosh, Ezra, great job. Like you're doing it. Like that is what a big sister does. Like you are such a big girl. And she just like lights up. She has no idea what a big girl is or what like a big girl means. But there's there's something about like us calling her that that just intrinsically like gets her excited. And it's funny because weirdly, instead of just being like, good job, we love you or good job, like, you're, you know, you're doing it or whatever. Like our affirmation to her is that, hey, good job. You're becoming more independent. You're exercising your ability to like have more freedom in this in this world, in this life. Like you're understanding things are making sense. Like you're becoming more independent. Like, good job. You're, you're being such a big girl. And I think the heart of why when we're younger, we always want to be older is because we associate that with a greater degree of freedom. Right. Like we as humans have this infatuation with freedom. We're obsessed with it. We have this infatuation with the desire to be independent or to have autonomy or to be self-reliant. I remember sort of one of my biggest times in life where I felt like I was truly taking my first step into like real freedom was when I went off into college. For two years, I went to a school called VCU, Virginia Commonwealth in Richmond. Anybody by any chance? Well, did you literally go, did you go to VCU? Virginia Tech, okay, all my other family are Hokies, so I wasn't smart enough to get into Virginia Tech. Um, but I went, to, I went to VCU in Richmond, and it was perfect for me. It was three hours away, and so I, it would, like, felt like I was leaving far enough to like, go to school, but if you know, I ever needed to come home and like, eat all my parents' food or whatever, it wasn't like, that far away that I couldn't do that. Um, but my first two years of school at VCU, I worked at like one of our school gyms. And I literally was just like the check-in guy, scanning like student IDs, making sure you could come into the gym for free. I honestly probably worked 8 to 12 hours a week, clearly nothing serious, but just enough to get me some extra pocket change. But being the oldest in my family, I was the oldest of four, I was the first one to leave home in any way and, and to go to school. And so my mom, to make sure that I didn't starve to death at a giant university with millions of amenities, every month would put like a little extra money in my bank account at the end of every month. And I was like, mom, you don't have to do that. And she's like, no, babe, I just don't want you to starve. Like, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to help you. Don't tell your dad. Um, and, and I'm just going to put some extra money in your bank account. Now, I, at the time, because I was the first one, like, to go off to college, I, we had no idea how to do this. I had, like, the largest, like, school meal plan you could possibly have. Like, I could literally roll into our cafeteria at any given moment and, like, order for my friends or, like, do whatever. And VCU actually had some pretty decent food. Like, it's not like those, like, Christian colleges. Anybody have to go to a Christian school? I transferred to a Christian school, and we had, like, deli meat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was... Yeah. But, but VCU actually had some good food, but I had like the most deluxe meal plan you could possibly have. I wasn't going to starve. I had a great dorm. I had a roof over my head. I had a little bed. I had my job that I worked like eight to 10 hours a day for some pocket change. Like in all honesty, for a college student, I was like pretty set. I didn't know that I'd have to pay all this back like 10 years later and be <laughs> drowning in debt for the rest of my life. But I felt in the moment... <laughs> I was set, right? I was doing all right for my, for my first year in school. But because I was the first one to leave, my mom wanted to make sure that I was 
okay, so she would give me that extra money just to be sure. And man, can I tell you, I was under the illusion that I was like an adult and grown up and independent doing it all on my own. I was a, what are you as a freshman, 17, 18? Like I was like an 18, like grown adult, like grown man. Like I, I felt like I had had it all together, paying all my bills, no sweat, because again, I, I'm paying them now. Um, my friends and I moved out of our dorm uh, going into my sophomore year because we're sophomores now. Like we can't live on campus. That's so lame. And so we pulled our money and we got a townhouse and I was buying shoes and clothes and my friends and I were going out to restaurants and I, you know, I was buying food. I literally had like no care in life. I finally knew what the hype around college, the freedom that college brought. Like I knew what it was like. I could do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, however I wanted. And I had very little care in the entire world until my sister a year and a half later went to college. Bless you. Yeah. And my parents soon kind of realized the hustle that I had been running, that I had gotten accustomed to. And then now that I'm the boy, I'm the oldest son, I should have life a little more figured out. And so all of the funds that I was getting from my parents were quickly transferred over to my, my you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, never-been-to-school sister. And this illusion of a life that I had created for myself, my year and a half, in my first like year and a half of college, all came crashing down, and I was left to fend for myself. And the truth I quickly discovered was this, that the profound freedom that I had been experiencing was actually only found within the structure and parameters of my parents' finances, <laughs> right? My 10, my 10 hours a week weren't doing it. I, I, I wasn't actually as free as I thought to do as I pleased. The, the freedom that I was experiencing was actually an illusion, and I think that's so indicative of our culture today. Think about this. We live in a culture that is obsessed with personal and individual freedom. We live in a culture that is obsessed with our freedom, our right to do whatever we want, however we want, when we want. Don't tell me what to do. You live your life. I'll live mine. Your, your morals, your values, whatever. Don't place them on me. I am free to live and do as I please, we're obsessed with freedom. And it's not all bad. I mean, listen, we live in a country that I'm so grateful for, founded on the principles of personal and individual freedom. We live in one of the, the greatest countries in the history of our world. But, but we are so obsessed with individualized freedom. Think about this. The sexual revolution that happened starting in the 70s and continues today brought about an individual freedom to express sexuality outside of the traditional binary male, male and female relationship, establishing over, depending on what website you look at, anywhere from 52 to 64 recognized genders. We, we are so obsessed with being individually free that we now have 52 to 64 recognizable genders. We live in a capitalistic free market society some people might not like that, but at least it gives you the ability to pursue whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, live wherever you want to live, and purchase whatever you want to purchase. Our desire for freedom has even found expression within personal identification, uh, with the acceptance of people identifying with races and ethnicities not attached to their human biology. 
We live in a culture that is so accepting of personal and individualized freedom that it is now kind of okay. I wouldn't say like totally okay, um, but, but it's relatively acceptable to identify with a culture or ethnicity that is not biologically attached to your own. We are obsessed with this idea of personal and individual freedom outside of any type of structure or authority on our life. We are obsessed with individual freedom. We've never been more infatuated when ironically, study after study and statistic after statistic continues to conclude that our souls have never been more enslaved than they are right now. The rates of addiction to drugs and alcohol have steadily been climbing since the 60s and 70s, hitting an all-time peak during the COVID pandemic. We're never more addicted to substances than we are now, even though we're free. We're addicted. Addiction to pornography is continuing to climb in both males and females, making it an $8 billion a year industry, citing that 25% of all internet searches are for some type of access to pornography. One in every four searches on the internet is to access some form of pornography, and we're seeing sexual dysfunctions such as ED and age groups getting lower and lower and lower, even into to preteen ages because of pornography. We are living in what some professionals would call a mental health epidemic with levels of depression and anxiety at an all-time high starting to show signs beginning in ages as young as nine years old. We've never been more free. We've never been more adamant about expressing our individuality, our independence, our, our autonomy, our freedom as people. And yet our souls have never been more enslaved to our whims and desires and addictions. And honestly, I believe fueling this thought, driving this narrative behind all of this is this lie that if I can completely remove all authority and all boundaries from my life, then I will be free. If I can remove any type of boundary, any type of authority, anybody telling me the right way to live, the best way to live, suggesting better ways for me to live, if I can remove all of that from my life, then I will be free. And once I am free, then I, am be able, then I will be able to discover my own truth. If I can remove authority, I can be free. And if I can be free, then I can discover my own truth. And when I finally discover my own truth, then that will lead me to peace and satisfaction. And it's a lie. And it's been a lie since the very beginning of time. I want to step back in the Bible and look at a book called Genesis. In the very first uh, chapters... In the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, we see this narrative arc that the, that the author of Genesis is creating for us as we continue to read and see the entire picture that the Bible is painting, the story of God's redemption. In Genesis, the first couple chapters, the author is laying out what the whole book of the Bible is all about. And it happens in a place called Eden, literally translated paradise or delight. It's a garden. And in Eden, all things are under the good care and the good rule of a good God. In Eden, the author paints this picture of harmony and peace. 
The Garden of Eden is this place where heaven and earth almost like intermingle and intertwine. I know we sing like songs like heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, and that's kind of gross, so we don't sing it anymore. But, but the literal idea of the Garden of Eden was it was this place where God would create humanity and, and not just his presence, but other spiritual beings would like mingle together. And we see it coming back into play in the book of Revelation where God doesn't like destroy earth. He recreates it into a garden city where his presence and humanity and all of the, the spiritual beings of heaven like intertwine and, and like live life together. That's like the picture that this author is trying to paint in our minds, a place of harmony and peace. And it's here in Eden where God creates humanity. And he makes human beings in his own image to rule over his creation and represent him to this earth. And there's only one parameter that God gives humanity in this garden that he creates, and it's not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that, that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. Um, I know I say it all the time, Bible project, that topic, it's amazing. Um, but God looks out over all of this creation, this space that he created for his presence and his people. And he looks at it and he says, it's not just good. He said, this is very good. Humanity is free to cultivate the earth and explore the earth and, and, and make it what we want it to be as we co-rule and, and, and sit under the authority of God. Humanity has never been more free under the good rule of a faithful God. But abruptly in chapter 3, our story of peace and harmony gets weirdly interrupted. Uh, another created being, another created being, not an autonomous being from God, a created being in the form of a snake called the serpent in this story is introduced. And very quickly we can see that this creature is in rebellion against the goodness of God. He's in rebellion against the things that God has created. He is in rebellion against the authority that God has over humanity and over himself. And the serpent approaches the humans that God created in this story, Adam and Eve, and here's what he says. Genesis chapter 3. He says, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman, Eve, said to the serpent, We may eat of any fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You're not going to die. You won't certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. The serpent approaches humanity in a place of perfect paradise and unity and says, oh, you, you guys, you think you're free. You think that you're free here. Oh, you think that... Under God's authority, you are free, that you can experience freedom. No, if you were truly free, you would be able to do as you saw fit. If you were truly free, you would have the ability to make choices and do as you saw fit. And when you do that, when you embrace your freedom, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know the truth and you will be like God. You, you will seize your freedom. You will know the truth and then you'll really be free. The serpent had a formula. He said, when you are free to do as you see fit, as you see right, then you will know the truth, 
and you will be free from your need of God. And you will be able to embrace a life of peace and enjoyment however you see fit. It sounds very reminiscent of the same narrative that is guiding our culture today. If I can completely remove all authority and all boundaries from my life, then I will truly be free. And when I am free, I can discover my personal truth. And when I find my personal truth, then that will lead me to peace. And it's a lie. It is an absolute lie. I want to go back to the words of Jesus because I believe Jesus specifically confronts this narrative, this lie that has been infecting our culture literally from the beginning of the establishment of humanity. He says this in John chapter 8. He says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are my disciple. If you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth. And it's the truth that'll set you free. The enemy and the world around us and our culture and news media and different people on Instagram, whatever, they scream at you day in and day out incessantly that freedom, your ability to act, think, behave, and do however you see fit in this world, that freedom is going to lead you into truth. But Jesus actually says, no, 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 no. Freedom does not lead you into truth. Truth leads you into freedom. We live in a world that has this subtle but deadly narrative flipped backwards is that if you would embrace freedom, you'll find truth. But Jesus says, no, freedom will not lead you to truth. Freedom will actually make you a slave to every desire, every random whim and thought and, and, and sexual need and, and substance abuse need that you have. No, your freedom won't lead you to truth, but truth will lead you in to freedom. It's the truth of God that breaks chains. It's the truth of who God is that heals broken hearts. It's the truth of God that covers shame. It's the truth of God that brings the freedom that our souls desperately long for. And it's only Jesus that has the power and the ability to set a soul free. It's only Jesus who has the ability to have truth that will lead you into freedom. Your personal freedom, your individuality will not lead you to the truth that you seek. But the truth of God will lead your heart and your soul into the freedom that you never knew you even wanted. It's only Jesus where peace and life and freedom and joy is truly found. The truth will set you free. Right before Jesus' death, this has been a story that I've actually become almost like obsessed with. I read it all the time. Right before Jesus' death, we encounter one of the most interesting conversations, I believe, in the entire Bible. Uh, Jesus was betrayed by Judas and handed over to the Jews to be killed for claiming that he was God and that he was a king. But the Jews at that time could not kill Jesus because one of the biggest festivals, um, one of the biggest celebrations in their culture, the Passover festival, was about to take place. And if they killed somebody, they would be considered unclean. Also, just be terrible to kill somebody. Um, 
but they would be considered unclean and not be able to participate in their own festival. And so what they do is they, they, they kind of call on the Roman government in hopes that the Roman government will step in, see this man as, as a traitor, see this man as somebody that's trying to stir up some type of rebellion, and they will kill Jesus for the Jews. And so they approach the Roman government, and they go to a Roman governor named Pilate, and they bring Jesus to Pilate, and, and Pilate is the one that eventually hands Jesus over to be crucified. And before Jesus is executed, he and Pilate are having a conversation. It's interesting because Jesus has just been brutally tortured. He's being slapped. He's being mocked. People are pulling his beard out. They're blindfolding him and slapping him in the face and saying, hey, if you're so awesome, if you're really God, tell us who just hit you. So this isn't like some leisurely conversation. Jesus has just been brutalized. And he's at the hands of a man who has the ability to grant him release and freedom. And this conversation takes place, and it's ironic that Pilate, who has the life of Jesus in his hands, will someday stand in judgment as Jesus is the judge. We see an incredible role reversal at the end of time where Jesus, beaten and, and brutalized, is hanging on the judgment of this man, Pilate. And one day, Pilate will have to give an account of his life to the real King Jesus. It's incredible, but Pilate is questioning Jesus about his claims of being a king. And if he was actually the king of the Jewish people and he was asking him like, hey, why do these people want to kill you? Like, what did you do? What was so bad that made these people want to kill you? And we kind of get a glimpse into this conversation. Pilate speaking to Jesus says, what is it that you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, and get this, man, highlight this, write this down, underline this. He says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And he says, everybody on the side of truth listens to me. Man, what does that say about our culture? What does that say about other voices? Sometimes people paint Jesus in this way. And listen, Jesus is and was the most kind, polite, loving person in the world. But Jesus made no uh, misunderstanding about who he was and what he stood for. And Jesus said, I came in this world to testify to the truth. And if you want truth in any way, shape, or form, anybody that sides on the side of truth listens to me, and Pilate asks a question that I believe is just so resonant with where we are today. In this conversation with Jesus, right before Jesus is handed over, Pilate has this question, what is truth? Man, when I read that, I don't know why, it just messes with my heart. It messes with my soul because I feel like on some deep level, that is the question that our generation is asking about God, about the Bible, about our faith. Like, is this true? And is it good? Jesus says, if you want truth, you listen to me. And Pilate says, what is truth? And I think it's the question that echoes within the conscious of our culture today. What is truth? Jesus claimed that if you have truth, you'll be set free, right? Jesus claimed that 
The reason he was born was to testify of the truth. Van, you guys can come on up. So I think if Jesus says his mission was to testify to the truth, and anybody who is on the side of truth listens to Jesus, and if it's not freedom that leads you to truth, but truth that leads you to freedom, I think the logical question to ask then is, what is truth, right? I think Pilate asked a a pretty good and intentional question. Jesus, if you came to testify to the truth, what is truth? Jesus said back in John 8, he said, if you hold to my teachings, man, you're my follower, you're my disciple, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What if you hold to my teachings, you'll know the truth. If you hold to my teachings, you'll know the truth. If you know what I say, if you embrace what I say, if you embrace what I do, if you embrace who I am, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus in this moment is telling us, I am the truth. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the freedom you're searching for. You cannot know the Father without me. You cannot be free of your sin and your slavery to your addictions and your bondages. You cannot know freedom without knowing me because I'm truth and I lead to freedom. I'm the door that takes you into freedom. It's my life that leads you to freedom. It's my teaching that leads you into freedom. It's my word that leads you into freedom. It's my sacrifice that I made for you that will lead you into freedom. It's me. I am the truth. And I will lead you into freedom. That's why here at Red Rocks and at Young Adults, we are so passionate about the person and the teachings of Jesus. We are passionate about his word, not only being inspired to give you good advice, or not only being some form of daily devotional to get you through your day and being motivated. No, we have a passion that God's word has authority in our life, that God's teaching is an anchor to our soul that guides us. It's our guardrails. It shows us a better way to be us. We don't need a personal truth when we have the truth, which is Jesus. That's why we're so passionate about his word. That's why we're passionate, not just about coming and listening to sermons or coming and and raising our hands and singing songs. No, we want to be followers. Jesus said, if you know my words and you you follow my teaching, you're not just a, a person in a crowd. You're a follower. You're a disciple. We are so passionate about not just bringing people in and giving them entertainment, but creating followers of Jesus. Why? Because we live in a world that is enslaved to this illusion of freedom. And we know the only and true way to be free. It's Jesus. Would you stand with me? Man, as I was writing this, I just, I had so many names and so many heads and so many situations and so many faces in my mind kind of running through this. And listen, I I include myself in this category. We are inundated with the narrative that if you can just be your truest self, if you can just be your most free version of who you are, man, you'll discover your truth and you'll live your best life. And can we just take a step back? Not, a, not, not as judgmental, moralistic people, but just as honest observers. Can we take a step back and look at our culture and look at our society and say, how is that going? How is that doing? Because statistically, 
We are getting worse and worse and worse as a society. We, we are, we've never been more addicted to things when we should be more free of things. We've never been more enslaved to our sexuality, like literally one in four surges, like that blew me away. Or for some artificial feeling of sexual intimacy. But we say that we're free. Like, can we just take an honest step back and say, how is our personal truth doing? Because just as an honest observer, I don't think it's doing well. So why don't we step in, not to a personal truth, but to the truth, Jesus. Because I promise you, on the other side, you're gonna experience this satisfaction your soul didn't even know it could have. And listen, I know it sounds so scary because if you step into the truth of Jesus, that might mean that you have to come under some type of authority. That might mean that there might be some changes to your life. Jesus just isn't like, hey, come follow me and do whatever you wanna do. No, he said, if you know my teachings, if you know what I say, and you do them, you're gonna know the truth. But man, can I tell you as somebody who has tried to define life for himself, somebody that's tried to create a life that I want, that, that, that is lived in, in a false reality, an illusion of personal freedom. Can I tell you my greatest moments in life are not when I conquer something or, or, or I don't know, achieve something. It's when I humble my soul to step into the truth of who Jesus is. And I'm met with unconditional, unrelenting love and grace on the other side. My soul experiences a freedom I never knew I even needed. I'm liberated from the false me that I try to create and I'm found within the person of Jesus. And I believe that exact same offer is here for anybody tonight. You wanna know what is, would be so attractive to a world that is seeking freedom and trying to find truth and becoming more and more enslaved and ingrained in bad habits. You wanna know what would be so attractive to the story of Jesus? It's a people that are actually set free. It's a people that can step out into their jobs, step out into their friendships, step out into their relationships and actually mirror an image like we were designed to do back in the garden. Mirror and image God's heart of freedom. That's found in Jesus. And man, what an amazing testimony to a world that is drowning in its own self. If you're in here tonight, would you close your eyes? If you're in here tonight and you would just say, hey, Dude, if I'm being honest with you, I feel like I have embraced this narrative, embraced this lie that if I can just be my truest, most authentic me, then I'll be free. I've bought into the lie that if I can just be free, then I'll find my own truth. And, and if I'm being honest, it's not leading me to the life that I thought it would. It's not leading me down the path that I thought it would. If that's you in here tonight, would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you. If you're in here tonight and you're like, listen, I've been living this illusion of freedom when honestly, I'm in more bondage than I even know what to do with. Would you lift your hand? I wanna pray for you because here's Jesus' invitation and it's not just for this moment, it's forever that you can step into his truth and his truth is gonna set you free. I wanna pray for you tonight. Father God, with every hand lifted and for every single person under the sound of my voice, God, I pray right now that, Lord, we would reject this notion that if we can be free, then we'll find truth. Because we know that it is only in truth where we find freedom. And Jesus, you are the truth. Jesus, your life is the truth. Your ways are the truth. Your teaching is the truth. And God, right now, 
We either commit our hearts for the first time or we recommit our souls again and again to the reality that you are the truth. And Jesus, I pray right now that as I pray, your, your spirit would come in and you would start to experience that freedom that God promised, that chains would be broken, addictions would fall off of your life, that pain and shame and guilt would leave in Jesus' name. God, would you mark us as a people of both truth and freedom so that we can mirror to the world your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness, and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Let's worship.